Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. So we'll get into that later on, too. Uh, but off the top in this hour, boy, you're going to love this story. The Writers Union of Canada has a, a magazine, and it's, it's called Write, W-R-I-T-E. Now, in the spring 27 issue of Write magazine, there was an opinion piece published. Now, apparently it was a, a, an issue dedicated to Indigenous writing. And uh, Hal Nedzvecki, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but Hal wrote a piece on the issue of cultural appropriation. He wrote, quote, in my opinion, anyone anywhere should be encouraged to imagine other peoples, other cultures, other identities. I'd go so far to say there should be an award for doing so. The appropriation prize for best book by an author who writes about people who aren't even remotely like her or him. Says Canadian literature remains exhaustingly white and middle class because writers are discouraged from writing about people or places or things they don't know about. So that doesn't sound crazy or radical, but guess what, folks? Apparently it is. You're not to say these things. So the Writers Union of Canada has apologized. Uh, This editor uh, is out. He has resigned. That's not enough, apparently. The Writers Union of Canada, their equity task force, has a long list of demands, 10 demands, by the way. Maybe I'll get to some of them. It it's almost defies parody. So let's bring our next guest into the conversation. She writes for a living and no not to mince words. So she's got, a, I, I think, a lot of different perspectives on this. Christy Blatchford writes for the National Post and Post Media. Christy, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Reb. Nice to be here. Well, what, what stands out to you about this whole controversy? Just the uh, insanity of the whole thing. I mean, fiction is about imagination. It's about, you know, uh, if you want to put it in these terms, appropriating other experiences, sometimes that have never happened. Uh, I mean, I somebody sent me a speech that uh, an author named Lionel Shriver, I happen to be a big fan, she wrote a book, We Need to Talk About Kevin. And it was a book um, told from the perspective of a woman whose son was a mass killer at a, at a high school. It was at the time when there were a number of real-life shootings like this. And this author has never killed anybody, never, uh, you know, isn't a 14-year-old or 16-year-old boy in high school, uh, etc. But she appropriated those voices. She made up characters and, and wrote a, a novel um, that was, in my view, quite brilliant. And in her speech, uh, which was last year, I think, uh, in England, and she was talking about how a cultural appropriation should be just a f- passing fancy. Well, of course, it, it isn't, certainly not in this country. And the whole fuss about uh, what this editor wrote, all he wrote, uh, not terribly lyrically, perhaps, but all he said was that writers should write. Writers you know, write a, fiction writers borrow 
make up, imagine characters, and they should not be precluded from doing that in any way um, when you're because you're not, you know, a person of color, or you're not a you can ha- you can be a man and write well in a woman's voice. You can be a white person and write well in a black voice or a male voice if you're female, et cetera, et cetera. So the whole thing is crazy. But, you know, this guy, uh, Hal, has resigned. Uh, a board member has resigned because she should have been able, she should have read this piece before it went in, and she says she would have objected to it if she had, but she was busy and didn't get a chance to read it. And, uh, you know, now you, you alluded uh, to the uh, Writers Union Equity Task Force, which has got these lunatic demands, you know, one of which is that the magazine should be turned over to uh, Indigenous uh, and writers of color for the next three issues. It's only a quarterly, for God's sake. So that's, right. you know, for the next three quarters of a year. Um, and that uh, there should be a full-time paid uh, equity officer in the in the building that uh, the next uh, the the replacement for how not just should be an indigenous an indigenous writer or a writer of color but one who has worked in the act you know affirmative action field uh, for three years and is respected who decides these things I mean it is a crazy list. Oh, yeah, it really is. You know, and I mean, it seems really simple to me then. I guess if if an op-ed is run, and and, I mean, the National Post does this. Publications do this all the time. Someone says, hey, you know what? That op-ed you ran, you know, we really disagree with it. So we're going to submit our own op-ed, and we're going to argue with words why that person was wrong and, and why people shouldn't think that way. That seems like a pretty reasonable solution to all of this, to run a, a counter opinion. I agree. And uh, I mean, the issue in which this appeared, though, as you pointed out, it was the the one voice as it was, which was the outlier voice. Yeah. The guy who said cultural appropriation shouldn't exist and people writers should be free to write, etc., was the only one in the in the issues that I can see, at least, who wasn't uh, writing about indigenous experience, uh, aboriginal views, etc. So... Uh, you know, it's not like a whole issue hasn't already been devoted to Aboriginal voices, but you don't you don't get to stifle dissenting views in order to protect your own. That's not what freedom is about, freedom of expression, and that's one of the rights that we are actually guaranteed in our charter of rights. It's, I think it's outrageous, and it it would be less outrageous, I suppose, if it were just a quirk of this, you know, small group of professional writers that i mean the magazine is itself you know sometimes dreary and tedious because it you know five ways to get your book noticed uh you know it's like cosmo for writers <laughs> uh it's got a lot of numbers in the titles um or it's precious you know it's just too cute and too trying to even bear reading but if this was the only thing in uh you know in an otherwise healthy vibrant democracy which tolerated all kinds of voices that would be one thing but think about candace mclean she wrote a book that critically examined the freezing death of uh, an aboriginal boy and a, a university of regina professor managed to shut her down every time mclean was supposed to go and speak to promote her book they, this professor, <clears throat> who is paid by public money, 
um, organized these vicious little protests, and the bookstores, of course, caved completely. Everybody caved. And her her publicity tour was so, and that's because in her approach, she suggests that the sort of conventional narrative, which blamed a couple of police officers for this, this teenager's freezing death, um, was is wrong. I haven't read the whole book. I don't know if she's right or wrong. That's hardly the point. The point is, in a free country, she should be able to say it, and she should be able to try and promote the book, but she wasn't allowed to. No, it so seems... this happens far too often in this country. We we are yeah. a craven lot. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Now, it seems to me here, now, with regard to what he wrote, because it wasn't a case of a guy saying, you know, it, it, you know, it would be funny to wear an Aboriginal headdress at Halloween. I mean, this is not no. the realm we're talking about. What he's saying, I think, is that if you can sufficiently try to understand the Aboriginal experience and write convincingly from that perspective, that's a good thing. Or it could be a positive thing. Is, is that essentially what he was arguing? Yeah, sure it was. And, uh, of course, he was doing it from a, you know, a, a small liberal perspective. So he, right. that's, I, I gather, why he resigned, because he was so mortified at his own words and his failure to acknowledge, you know, cultural oppression and the settler mentality and all of that. Uh, you know, I don't think he's backing away from what he said. He's just saying he didn't say it well enough, sort of like... Uh, the guy at McGill, Andrew... Uh, oh, Andrew Potter, yeah. Andrew Potter at McGill, who said, you know, geez, I was, I, my tone wasn't right in that piece that caused him to to resign as the, whatever it is, foundation, the yeah, McGill, huh? Canada thing, or whatever it is. Um, and I thought that, I mean, if I had to resign every time I was glib, or my tone wasn't <laughs> right, or I would have resigned 50,000 times, you know, because you get it wrong most of the time. Sure. You, well, you know, you screw it up. Well, that, yeah, I mean, if we, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's okay. We, we shouldn't get so bent out of shape over somebody's tone. I mean, if we disagree with a piece, if we, even if we're offended by a piece, you know, you can, you got the option of crumpling up the newspaper and throwing it in the garbage and never buying that newspaper again. <laughs> that's that's how you want to react, how you, right? That's, yeah, for sure. And those are all perfectly reasonable ways to react to, to an opinion you find disagreeable. But having the person fired or forced into resignation and humiliated is surely not the answer or shouldn't be the answer in a free country. Okay, but does the, the reaction to this piece also suggest then that the idea of a non-Aboriginal, say, writing from the perspective of an Aboriginal character in literature that that's off limits, that that should never happen. Well, we, we know that that should never happen. There was a, <clears throat> just last month in Toronto, there was an artist who paints in the style of, uh, you know, uh, Norville Moore, so the great Aboriginal artist. Uh, she's not an Aboriginal woman, and the gallery that was going to have her show uh, was shamed into cancelling the show. It happens now almost monthly, I would say. Somewhere in this country, somebody is shut down for having an unacceptable opinion. And very often, it's opinion. It's an opinion that touches on, in some way, Aboriginal issues. And, you know, we, I'm all for um, having Aboriginal voices. You know, it's a, it should be a free marketplace. And I grant you, the play, playing field isn't always level. And that's why the Canada Council for the Arts, for instance, has a special... Aboriginal funding arm to fund Aboriginal projects because it recognizes that Aboriginal artists may not have the advantages that a white person living in Toronto has. So those are all reasonable steps, but you don't get to shut down other people and you certainly shouldn't get 
to tell them that they can only write about their own limited experience. What about the human, the much admired human qualities of empathy? I mean, yeah. you don't have to have cancer to empathize with someone who does. But by the logic of cultural appropriation, you wouldn't be allowed to even express those sympathies or empathies, let alone write about it, because you yourself don't have cancer. Well, it's it's insanity. You know, it reminds me of the time when I read the book Children of Men. It was written by P.D. James. I actually didn't know really who P.D. James was. And and after reading the book, I just assumed that P.D. James was a man because it's the story is told from a male perspective. And then I learned after the fact, oh, wait, she's a woman. She wrote so convincingly that I didn't know. So all these people who are freaking out, I'd be curious to see if you could put a well-written piece before them, not tell them who wrote it and just say, "Do, do you like the piece or don't you? And then if they do, maybe it doesn't matter who wrote it. Well, except that it does matter. The gallery where this young artist, Amanda P.L., I think is her name, um, the gallery owner, the curator, uh, was quoted in a piece I read saying that he didn't realize, he never thought to ask, was she indigenous or not? And he says, now I wish I had, and, you know, I presume because then he wouldn't have offered to give her a show and show her work. But, I mean, if we're now going to be sort of preemptively also censoring ourselves and the kinds of things we approve of, whether book, art, movie, or whatever, you know, it's it's even scarier because that's self-censorship, you know. It, it's very iffy to take on some of these modern sacred cows. Now, in terms of how significant this is, because I, I suspect most people have never heard of this magazine, Right?, I, I've never seen it Tell on any newsstand, right? Yep. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's a story we we should know about this. I mean, it it should concern us, right? Well, sure it should. For one thing, the magazine industry, such as it is, particularly sort of literary um, journals like this one, are often almost wholly or significantly, at least, funded by your money and mine. Uh, you know the right itself, the the magazine in question, and the other magazine that uh, Hal founded, which is called Broken Pencil, they have a couple of things in common. And one is uh, the thank you that they give uh, to the Canada Council for the Arts for financing them and to the Ontario Arts Council for doing the same thing. And then there's the Toronto Arts Council and various other arts councils. So this, these are public dollars. They're not just dollars that, you know, the magazines fundraise, and maybe they do some of it, but they are, they're significant supporters are government, and government is you and I. So it's public dollars. They're publicly important issues, which are playing out in the pages or around the pages of this little magazine that almost no one probably reads. Um, and the, the public issue here, of course, is the right to have uh, an unpopular, a glib, an inappropriate opinion or belief. And of course you're allowed to do that, but you're becoming less free to do that now. So it seems. Uh, more at nationalpost.com. Uh, Christy, I always appreciate your, your glib opinions. Thanks for joining us. Yes, well, thank, thank you very much. <laughs> All Goodbye. right, take care. Christy Blatchford uh, writes for the National Post uh, and Post Media, nationalpost.com. Uh, by the way, it's funny we mentioned P.D. James. There's a quote from her that people like to uh, share. She once said, I believe that political correctness can be a form of linguistic fascism. It sends shivers down the spine of my generation who went to war 
against fascism. Uh, anyway, 403-974-8255 is our number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.